Hey there, this is Jason and Paul, and we encourage you to follow us on Instagram at stateofloveandtrust underscore pod, where we can continue the conversation with you. Thanks for listening. And now, let's get to the show. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of The State of Love and Trust. It's a Pearl Jam podcast, and I'm one of your two hosts, Jason Carapesti, and alongside me, as always, is... Paul Gillieri. Paul, I almost stumbled through that open because I'm so excited. Do you, do you know why? Does it involve a stage and a couple of guys that we might know? It does. It does. It does. Guys, we had new music. Live, I should say. New live music. From Pearl Jam. They played a show this weekend, this past weekend. My goodness. It's a whole new day. Yeah. So we are here. Um, we've got a whole show to talk to you about. Um, our main main topic tonight is No Code, the song. We had stated the band the last time out around this recording, but we're going to bring in our friend Stip uh, to talk about what the result of that state of the band was in the songs that we got in the album of No Code. So we will get to that in a minute, but first we have to touch on on the show that was. Um, of course, before we get to that, please get on your social media platforms, Instagram, State of Love and Trust underscore pod, Facebook, Twitter as well, and subscribe, rate, and review the channel on your podcast app of choice. Housekeeping Feed done. The algorithms. There you go. So let's start things off here. Um, there was a great sound check, apparently, and mm-hmm. uh, we got a lot of live debuts tonight. We got, I'll just read through it real quick. Well, hold mm-hmm. on. But before you get into okay, the set, let's okay. just, just, just sound check. You're, you're hanging out. You're mm-hmm. like a food vendor, right? <laughs> yes. Or, or you, you work security. Sure. And the first thing you hear is Long Road, which if you're a Pearl Jam fan, is, is pretty amazing. I know that that's Very a hit, an instant hit with you, yeah. right? And it has, yeah. been, it has been a long road from the last time Pearl Jam played live to now, okay? Then we get some Springsteen, The Rising. We get some more Springsteen. My City of Ruins. So clearly, mm-hmm. it's going to be heavy on the boss tonight. Totally oh, cool. They're, they're in Jersey. That's cool. That they're in sense. Jersey. Exactly. We get Dance the Clairvoyance. Not, you know, everybody in separate locales cobbled <laughs> together. In the, person. No, no, actually in person. Yeah. playing together, which which I'm, I'm dying to hear what this sounds like live. Then we get some Pink Floyd with Comfortably Numb. Uh, Satan's Bed. Are you kidding me? Satan's Bed. Yes. Okay. That I like that. Uh, then we get Release. Uh, seven o'clock, which, I mean... I don't know how there was time for a main set by the time they got through playing seven o'clock. And (laughs) I kid. Then we get Super Blood Wolfman. So right off the bat, this is going to be a really fascinating uh, gauntlet Mm -hmm. of of, of tracks that seems to span pretty much every sector you want. Old Pearl Jam, new Pearl Jam covers. I mean, typical. I I can't say that we should be surprised by this. I wonder. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, but... You hear a, a sound check like that. And what's interesting is I don't believe that we actually heard all of these sound check songs in the set. As a matter of fact, we one of the songs that I just mentioned did not show up. Did not show up. Uh, actually, I think two of the songs didn't show two? up. If I can think if I can remember correctly. So let's just kind of get into it here. Um, we'll go in little blocks. The first three songs of the first Pearl Jam show in three years, Dance of the Clairvoyance. Quick Escape, 7 o'clock. If you're not a Pearl Jam fan, 
They're coming. Are you surprised that they opened up with three? No, no. And I'll tell you why. They have been dying to play this new stuff live. Dying. So the idea that they're going to, oh, let's just play some of the old stuff and then slowly drip into this. No, they, they, they were ready to go. Uh, it, it sets the tone for the show. Uh, this, to me, was more for, for them than I think it was for anybody. I agree. You know, so. I fully, uh, And, I, and uh, I, of the songs, wouldn't you say those are the three minus uh, uh, um, retrograde uh, that will probably get or had received the most push? Yeah, I would say so. Um, I'm not surprised that those songs were played early. I thought that they would ease everyone back in with with something uh, a little bit more known, um, like a, a usual kind of fair. Maybe like get a release or a long road, yeah. kind of like, hey guys, like those would have made a lot of sense. But they said, you know what, we want to just jump right to things. And I guess to be fair, it is a slightly short, shorter set than usual. It so is. Thought, it okay. remind, doesn't it remind you of the uh, was it the, the Bellevue show ahead of mm. Binaural, where they started off with of the girl, and it, you just got all this binaural stuff early. Right out of the gate, yeah, yeah. Right so out of the gate, the, you know, a little on brand, a little on brand. So yeah, a little on brand. Three live debuts right out of the gate, and then they hit Corduroy and Present Tense. So you get some of that. Um, you, the, in the usual spots, the quarter is usually in, in that four or five spot. Present tense has been in that early spot. I know when we talked to our friends over at Live and Four Legs, and we talked to um, to John about that LA two show in 2013, uh-huh. they played present tense pretty early on there too. Um, and then they get into another live debut, Never Destination. I personally really enjoy that song, so I'm glad they played it. A yeah. friend of mine, uh, and those of you who who went will know, said they played it very fast. Which yeah, it's already pretty quick. It's a fast-paced yeah. song, so this this will be interesting. We had this whole conversation around Gigaton. You know, I remember citing a song like "Infallible." How sometimes you hear something live, yeah, like we did on that Lightning Bolt mm-hmm. tour, and it just completely reframes the way that you you hear a song because that there was so much production on Lightning Bolt. So there's a lot of production on Gigaton as well. So I'm very interested to see what or hear, I should say, what a song like "Quick Escape" and, and a song like "Never Destination" sound like when you pull some of that stuff off, which hopefully they did do. Well, they did bring on for the, for most of the show, I think Josh Klinghoffer. He apparently is official touring member now. Exactly. So he adds to boom 20 years later, we have our sixth, uh, I guess it's actually the seventh uh, uh, total member in the touring committee, as it were to help with background vocals, keyboards, guitar on some of these new tracks so uh, well, welcome, Josh, uh, to the party. Yeah. <laughs> so from there, we go with some uh, some stalwarts, uh, even flow, wish list, uh, back to another live debut, Super Blood Wolf Moon. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, we hit Red Mosquito. Which, I mean, hey, <laughs> we, did, we, we had talked about this, actually. We did. We did. And, and we're going to talk about it again later mm-hmm. in this episode. Absolutely. Uh, Red Mosquito is, is a song that, that we we're not alone in thinking deserves a little bit more love out there on the road. A little bit more love and featured one Danny clinch on harmonica. How about that? Um, After red mosquito, you've got daughter with a tag at WMA. That's pretty lock stock right there. Good stuff. Another live debut, the Matt Cameron song, take the long way, which I'm really excited about. I am excited too, because I am hoping maybe, maybe. Uh, is there some Jessica, female vocals on this? Do we get Jessica Grandall to come down? I, I, I don't know. It, it doesn't, I, I don't see anything. I don't think she's the here, credits. but is she coming but, to Ohana is the question. Uh, is she coming to, to Dana Point to hang out with us? That would be lovely to see. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, a, I'm very curious about that. 
And then they go into elderly woman, given to fly, state of love and trust. I mean, now we're just hitting some bangers, right? Yeah. Better man um, with a tag of people have the power mm-hmm. and closing the main set with porch. I mean, I think at that point they got pretty warmed up and they're like, okay, we can play some of the uh, raise, the, raise yeah. the bar a little bit. We yeah. got warmed up. We've got how many songs is that live debut? Five, six, one of the four, five, uh, six, six songs off the new yeah. record debuted in the first set. Hello. <laughs> so if you're a fan of Gigaton, you Let are a boy or girl at this point. Um, by the way, in that main set, they were maybe was it main, was it main set or was it the or was it the um, sound check? Sound, Seven o'clock was was no, sound, sound check. check. Also, they had retrograde in the lineup and along with light years, and they crossed it off and didn't play it. Oh, I did not know that. So it was on there. If you go to if you guys go to the uh, the Instagram that uh, Pearl Jam posted of the set list that Ed wrote out, you'll see the light years is crossed off, retrograde is crossed off. Uh, I believe in the main set. So maybe we'll get to hear those. Uh, I like those two paired together, by the way. They weren't back to back. Okay. Yeah, but would be, that, that would be cool, right? Yeah. So we head into the encore, My City of Ruins, live debut, covering that mm-hmm. song. Into As a band. I mean, Ed, Ed, has, Ed did sure. it for the, uh, was it the, the, the uh, Kennedy Center Honors? Was that what it was for, for Bruce? I, I want to say. It was something right. like that. Yeah. Uh, and then we hit Alive uh, with a little voodoo child tag and then right into Rockin' in the Free World featuring Lenny K. So a pretty concise uh, set, but you uh-huh. got a lot of hits from across the board there. Uh-huh. There were some absences from the uh, early 2000s, I think, uh, especially yeah. with Light Years being crossed off. But, you know, they've got three more shows here in Southern California to kind of pick through that part of the catalog. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you are, I mean, we've seen a lot of reaction online over the past couple of days, all the various Instagram accounts on Facebook. I know, I know Randy um, from live and four legs was there. I know our friend Dave from live footsteps was there. I know our friend um, uh, Anthony Krisowitz from touring fan live was there. He was doing actually an event beforehand. I want to say Friday night. So a lot of our friends in the podcast community, Pearl Jam community were there having a great time. Uh, I hope if you were there, you did too. Mm-hmm. And um, just overall impressions of the of this show. I thought that it was a really nice. Um, uh, it was a, a great way to just get back into the groove of things. You know, mm-hmm. if you haven't worked out in a long time, <laughs> the last thing you want to do is <laughs> just go after it for Raising two and a half hours. <laughs> <I mean, laughs> you, you, you won't be able to walk in the morning, and you probably pulled something. Okay, so I thought they did a really nice job of of making it manageable, but really uh, condensing the juice. Mm. In a way that felt like you were you were listening to something special. Pearl Jam concentrate. And yeah, yeah. So take it out of the I, freezer. Thunk, 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 into let, the, let, into let's the exactly. add some water. Let's be honest though; these guys are, are pros. Yeah. Uh, I, we shouldn't expect anything less. So I, I'm hoping that this is a wonderful uh, harbinger of of what is to come in uh, in the weeks to follow. Agreed. And one more song that they didn't play that was on the set list: River Cross. So we might get that. Uh, in the next couple of weeks down in Dana Point as well. Um, again, kudos to all of you that went and had a great time. If you're coming this coming weekend or the following weekend in uh, Southern California, you will see myself and or Paul. So come say hi. We hey, may be wearing c- Can I ask a question to you? You may. Super soaker to your ear. What would you rather hear? Buckle up or river cross? 
Hesitation, <laughs> it's priceless. Um, <laughs> I think I'd rather hear River Cross. Wow. Not wow because of the answer. Wow because you really had to put some thought into that. that well, it's tough because I, I equally have a tough time with both of those. Yeah. I think. If they if they lost the kalimba live, <laughs> I might be able to find a way to get around to it. I don't know. We'll have to find out and wait and see. Um, well, I said I mentioned it before. Our buddy Stip from the Skyscrape slash Red Mosquito is back with us to talk about the songs from No Code. Welcome back, buddy. Thanks for having me again. Always a pleasure. We are talking No Code songs, as I mentioned. Uh, we talked. The first episode of, of No Code, is it month? I don't know. No Code Time uh, with about Jack Irons. And then we spoke last week about the state of the band during the recording uh, of the album. So your 95, 96 era and what that led to going into Yield. Um, and what that yielded was, pun intended, uh, No Code, which was released on August 27th, 1996, five years to the day after their first and maybe best, ooh, is that a hot take? Album <laughs> 10. Now, I say that because there are some fans out there who are too cool for school and think that No Code is the best album ever created. And listen, you know what? That is that is your, your mojo. That is your prerogative. You are allowed to think that I am not going to say otherwise. Um, but we will talk about and celebrate that album now. Uh, the songs, the songs themselves. So in the, in the legacy of those songs since 1996, we are all around the same age. So we we experienced this album uh, in a similar mindset and EQ, uh, right? Is that, is that correct? Yeah. Fair to say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Fair. So let's start with Sometimes, the album opener um this was um the first soft album opener um i think there is a lot of vulnerability and humility about humanity in this song i think the way ed sings a song he sings it kind of meekly you know that whole phrase that saying the meek shall inherit the earth from i believe it's is it the bible is that am i am i quoting this correctly Mm -hmm. the bible okay um and then uh, you have a very simple guitar rhythm, almost like a clock ticking, perhaps the finite time of man. Who knows? It's a very underrated song. I chose it as my most underrated song off of the album a couple episodes ago. But boys, what do we think of this song then to now? Uh, well, um, okay. So No Code is just interesting in terms of its placement in the, the career trajectory of the band. You, you have a band that I think was on the verge of burning out like a supernova. And I think Vitology was that, that, that uh, prescient desire to, to somehow expand beyond this, this giant stadium sound that this massive rock band that they had been. And we caught glimpses of the, the experimental nature of each band member and, and the desire to kind of uh, um, branch out from those, those foundations what I thought was interesting about no code and Jason, you and I talked about this actually in the last episode, we discussed the actual meaning behind that as a medical term. It means do not resusc- resuscitate. And, you know, Eddie mentioned this 
of this album. I'm quoting him here. He says, when you fold out the liner notes, you get the no code triangle, which means do not resuscitate. I thought that was symbolic of where we were with the group. If we were dying, let us die. Don't try to save us. We don't want to live as vegetables. And it's so sad to think about how amazing those first three albums were. And at the same time, the musicians responsible for creating that sound felt like they were dying inside. <laughs> I mean, that they, they, they felt like they had reached an apex and yeah. it was just going to be downhill from here. So I think a song like sometimes it, it, uh, it does a wonderful job of kind of welcoming the listener into what will be a very, very introspective album that focuses inward and a sound that focuses inward as well. You get far less production on this album. It's very um, muddy and, you know, you get a lot of that garage rock and raw. It's raw. There's a lot of experimentalism on here as well. Not in the way of Vitology, which I've always likened to kind of a miniature version of Pearl Jam's White Album. I think uh, No Code is more of, um, uh, you know, uh, live on Main Street, Rolling Stones. Everything from, from the cover concept to the wide range of eclectic musical sensibilities and genres that get mixed in here sometimes just seemed to me to almost be kind of like that wagging fingers saying, come with me. And it, it just was a beautiful way to open up the album. Raw and introspective step. Uh, was that what fans were looking for in 1996? And how, how, how did you approach sometimes at the time? Well, uh, it was definitely not what I was looking for. In 1996, um, it was a turnoff. <laughs> it, it was. Um, I was definitely one of those people. I, I, Vitology, I stuck with them, but No Code was definitely where I started to worry that they, they lost the plot. And what's always tricky about trying to evaluate the album that is the current album is that you don't have context for where they're going, and you don't know what's a choice. You know when. Yield follows no code. Suddenly, something uh, the the muddier moments, the the quieter moments, um, the introspection. Uh, some of the things that turned me off at the time felt like a choice rather than you know a sign of a band that had lost their way. And so it becomes easier to reappraise these things over time. Um, I think what I struggled with with no code, and you know sometimes as an opener is a good example of this when it came out. You know, this is this is oversimplifying, but you could kind of take Pearl Jam and place all of their albums into like a four quadrant grid. You know, along like your your y axis, you've got the albums that are really uncertain, um, don't have answers, are are asking questions, um, or or are not lack confidence in their uh, in whatever they're they're exploring whatever themes they're exploring then you have like the the confident records that even if they don't know the answers are confident in their uncertainty i mean 10 is you know a great example of that and then you've got the albums that are asking questions and you've got the albums that are offering answers and no code is maybe the only album in the catalog where you could you could place it in the uncertain like uh insecure side of the uh, of of the grid and the answers side of the grid where you know like here's we think we've started to figure stuff out we're ready to actually share a perspective and not just be on a journey with you would we're you not, say stip that this is indicative of being 30 I, it, it, indicative of being 30 i think it's indicative of the uh 
growing just, up regardless I, where, of what age you grow up well yeah. i mean for them as band members i mean they were they, they were you know working their way into their 30s at this point in time Th- they were and i think it's also just trying to process the, the i mean you guys laid this out really nicely in your last your last episode your last uh, podcast um i think just trying to process where they've been like you know no code sometimes is a good opener in this respect no code is trying to create safe spaces to process uh it's trying mm, to create right, stillness right, yeah. Good point, good point. Uh, it's it's trying to um, give you the opportunity to reflect in a way that there's an an immediacy on the first three records, which I really like as a fan. That kind of pushes back against that. Um, you know, No Code is the first time that they they pause to figure to figure out. Okay, what have we learned? I mean, it's a lyric, you know, on the album. You know, what have we learned so far? You know, on this all encompassing trip, and. You know, uh, compared to songs like Once or Last Exit or Go that are, you know, frantic and frantic and and kind of desperate in their energy, you know, sometimes is an interior song. It's it's pausing to to make space for reflection. It's accepting your own insignificance rather than uh, railing against it. Um, you know, like so many of the songs on this answer uh, on this album, it, it's making peace with its own imperfections in a way that the prior albums always fought against. And in that respect, it is very much like turning 30 or, or growing older in that you start to demand fewer answers from the world and you start to become more comfortable with ambiguity when you realize that those answers aren't there. Well, nothing's, I think, more, it's not ambiguous, but it it, it asks a question or it paints, it, it does not finish a painting uh, with sometimes, it kind of lays out, hey, this is where we're at. And we're willing to accept accept something different than what we were offering you before. We had we had some questions that we had our own answers to, but we were asking outwardly. Now we're asking those answers inwardly, as Paul mentioned. And the album starting in the way that it does, opposite to the way that the first three albums sounded, whether they did. It's interesting then that it goes into Hail Hail the way that it does, soft to quiet, just Hail Hail busting down the doors. Now, obviously, this song is about relationships um, being uh, one that you need to get out of, of course. Haven't we all been there? And at the time, and probably for a long time, uh, I think many simply looked at this in the traditional sense of a relationship between two people. And it probably is that. But uh, can we not also add in the layer of it being about the band in relation with the outside world? How, I mean, maybe even between themselves. And what, what does that say to the listener in 96 to hear that and then juxtapose it to how we view the song today? That's it. I've never thought about it that way, to be honest with you. The idea that, you know, yeah. hail, hail to, to the bands that actually have found a way to continue on this path without getting swallowed. Um, it's a really interesting way to look at this track. I mean, it might be something it may have some personal meaning to them just insofar it's I, no code. I don't think is an album. They like very much. If really? you, if you look at, if you look at how often the songs are played, why would they I, play it in I, full though? That in Moline? Well, you know, as, well, as they were doing that, but I mean, I, you, you, know, you know, we talked after about 800 this shows, you know, you know, you'll want to mix it up a little bit, but yeah. uh, looking at how often I, I was playing around with this earlier today when I was listening to no code and I was, I was looking at how often they've been, they were playing their songs and Hail Hail is the 18th most common song they've played. 
And for something that's on their fourth album, you know, and right before they started entering the mega tour phase of their career, you know, you have Hail Hell at 18, Lucan's at 19, which is surprising, except I think you mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, Jason, on the, the podcast, or, or one of you did. It's a minute long, so it's easy enough just to slot into mm-hmm. a, a set. I've got thoughts later on that, by the way. And then, you know, present tense is down all the way at like 34. And, you know, that's that's your third most common song compared to like the first three albums and then compared to even just a lot of stuff on you know yield um you know riot act you know there are songs like unthought known that have been played as much as as present tense i think more um and so maybe this is the memories that they had about making the record um because they're these songs would get reactions from fans uh but other than hail hail uh and lucan there's not any that really made it into heavy rotation. So maybe there is something that's sort of therapeutic about, you know, hail, hail for them. Well, do you think that that's then uh, less of a reaction to how they feel about the songs and more of a reaction to how they view the fan base reacting to the songs? And so they just go, okay, I guess we'll just play, you know, the hits that people really like. I mean, look at, look at lightning bolt for, for example, I know that's the most recent album minus gigaton, which hasn't been played live. Well, as you're hearing this, it hasn't been played live, but um, you know, think about it now. If they're going to play a song from Lightning Bolt, it's probably going to be Lightning Bolt, Mind Your Manners. Mm-hmm. Those are kind of the big hits. Maybe Sirens a little bit, but everything else is that would be a, that'd be a nostalgic, not nostalgic. I'm sorry, a, a novelty type deep cut. So, you know, I, I mentioned that they played the, the whole album in full. Um, I don't think they do that necessarily if they didn't like the album. Is it, is it more reaction to fans than 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 them liking the songs? I I mean, when I I don't want to overstate. I don't think they like the album very much because they they do play the songs. They they did choose to to go through the whole thing in order. I'm sure they did that because of the fan reaction that it would get. But I think it's telling that Lightning uh, Mind Your Manners, which is a song you know that's that came out on album ten. Uh, so, you know, you had the huge uh, Yield tour, the huge binaural tour, the huge Riot Act tour, the huge self-titled tour, the Backspacer tour was, uh, you know, wasn't that small. There's only uh, four songs on uh, No Code that have been played more than Mind Your Manners. Uh, it's, um, it, I was surprised when I looked it up how infrequently some of these songs have been played. And for, you know, uh, band that plays as many deep cuts as they do and for a fan base that knows the words to every single song uh it's it's always been curious to me that they don't they don't play these more often i mean hail hail is arguably the best song on the album it's not my favorite but it makes sense that that would be one that they would play anyway well i I mean to piggyback off points both of you guys are making jeff wasn't really involved in the recording process in the beginning Mm -hmm. it already started without it i I think there's a level of um, contentious nature that that we have to acknowledge still. we well i mean let's put it this way jeff is on record as saying that this band was the band's story that it was about growing up and i think that it's hard to go back and play music that essentially was reflective of a transitionary period in your life as a band you know now that they are grown up it's hard to go back and look at those bridge songs that took them from where they were to what they would ultimately become I, I think they want to play music that reflects who they are and music who, that reflects who they were and, and playing songs that are somewhere in between, I think 
it, it might be hard sometimes for them as, as people to access those triggers again. Well, then let's, let's move on to a song that's only been played 44 times ever called Who You Are. Uh, now, now this is the fork in the row. <laughs> so this, this is, uh, man, we keep looking inward, right? This is the theme of the record. And we keep looking inward, asking questions about oneself, but ultimately resolving that, you know, you are who you are. And that's that. We did uh, Lyric of the Week just a couple of weeks ago on this song. Um, is it any wonder that it comes after Hail Hail? Uh, I know, and I know, Paul. You've you've called it the the original "I am mine" or a companion to "I am mine," which is interesting. Yeah, but I also feel that this is that fork in the road. You know, two roads diverge in the yellow wood, and I I took the road less traveled by. Robert Frost. This is that moment in every Pearl Jam fan's life. You put this record on as the really first sure. single, by the way. <laughs> it was, but you're you're not really sure what to think of sometimes because, as Stip eloquently mentioned, you know, all the other albums kind of blasted you in the face with, with a left hook and this one starts off really quiet you get that that crescendo with hail hail now what comes next and by the way hail, hail, that that song harkened back to a lot of uh stone's kind of earlier riffs i mean there was it had a garage rock edge to it but there was a certain hard rock nature that i think that's why that song continues to, to persist in the way that it does this track here who you are this is that divergent point where it, you were either on board with this direction and you felt like uh, Pearl Jam, hmm, interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go on this trip with you. Or you said, no, I'm out. <laughs> That's it. I'm out. It was a bold and, and choice I, to be track three. It was. And so I, I think that when this was Jack Irons to a T, I mean, this was Pearl Jam saying, this is the new us. You know what I'm saying? This is who we are. And fans had to make a decision now for me i heard this song it was immediately my favorite track on the record it, it was eclectic wow. it had these world beats on it you know i, I just really liked the groove it was rhythmic it, i was drawn into it and and you know me ever since then every time they go off the beaten path <laughs> yeah. that's the i like that you know it, it's attractive to me because it's a sign of growth for them as a band which maybe for me subconsciously uh it, there's a sense of reassurance because it means they're not going to go anywhere <laughs> yet but uh, i i think on a deeper level here for me as a fan this painted the path of me being willing to open myself up to any sound or song that they make and try to find the goods in those situations whereas i think other fans maybe heard this and said what is this like and and off they went Ooh, i mean I, 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 yeah <laughs> nicely done i i obviously stuck around but i struggled with this single um because Certainly, you know, in the year of our Lord, 1996, I was, at a, I was at a place where, you know, Pearl Jam had to be serious uh, and serious in like, you know, all caps. And so something that was a little sloppier, a little, you know, more uncertain, a little more whimsical, you know, that I, lyrics like, you know, that's the moss in the aforementioned verse. Like, I still don't I, like that line, by the way. I, I, it's one of the, I hated it at the time, but it is one of those things that looking back, you know, there's. There's a moment for for that kind of, of messiness, and it fits the song, and it fits the run of the uh, the run that's at the start of the album. But sometimes, hail hail, who you are, um, they're all a little sloppy in the way that they hold together. Um, they're all uncertain while still circling around some idea they're they're trying to articulate. Like you know, like the messy first couple of steps towards uh, enlightenment. You know, they all embrace 
flaws and imperfections in people, in relationships. Um, and as I grew up, this is a song, interestingly enough, like I, even though this is towards the bottom of, you know, my own Pearl Jam hierarchy, this album. Tor- towards the bottom? Well, the bottom. Yeah, okay. uh, <laughs> uh, who You Are is maybe, and there's another song in the, on this, this record too, that may be the two songs that I've grown the most in appreciation for as I've gotten older. And Who You Are, as I, as I got older, as I became less concerned with, with certainty, and I became more accepting of just the fact that life is nothing but messy context um and you know, uh that this the stuff that you used to maybe want to try to control you recognize not only that you can't but it's in the the chaos of what you can't control that you find the things that have meaning um you know learning to be okay with the realization that we're kind of making it all up as we we go along like who you are captures that feel really well there are some sloppy chunky lyrics in here you know there are some nice moments but it's never going to be their, their best written song but there's an honesty to it that i've i've come to find very charming over the years that i definitely pushed back against when it came out this was definitely and we'll obviously illustrate this more as we go but this was the this was the first inwardly honest record and obviously ed wrote every lyric but mankind which we'll get to but um i think he wrote those lyrics too didn't he no, no he didn't, no, he didn't. That's but um this is the second song in a row where you have a line that has a really odd syllable structure where there's actually more than should be so uh, you've got the aforementioned verse line um but then in hail hail you have the obligation that i know uh <laughs> actually and later on in in uh, off he goes perfectly so he's adding syllables where they shouldn't be Mm-hmm. To make things work out for him, it's it's, it's that does it's, drive me nuts. Though. I know it does. Um, it's, this is where it first appears, right? This is the first time you hear him kind of write that way, and and I won't talk about how much I don't like the word salad of seven o'clock, but he still does. He does it to a degree. <laughs> By the way, the people on the boards on the uh, on Facebook and stuff heard the uh, heard the sound check on Friday night of See Here Now, and we're like, "Ooh, I'm excited for seven o'clock. They played it tonight," and I'm like, "Nope, not for me." Anyways, oh, I, I love that song. Tangent. That's well. That's another. That's another discussion. Um, let's move on to "In My Tree." Now, oh boy, uh, here we go. <laughs> so we're starting to pick up steam here a little bit. If "Hail Hail" really is a personal relationship, then this song is definitely that relationship that Ed and the outside world has. This one is obvious to me. It's it's a lovely predecessor or companion to "In Hiding," in my view, and. I mean, let's talk about the course and the idea of escaping the other in the relationship. It's scary. Ed is shaking, as he says in the lyrics. He's alone in tenuous footing. Maybe the air is thinner up, up there so high. You know, it's it's harder to really know what's going on. You know, the sky he scrapes, Stip. <laughs> your, your, your website's namesake is yeah, right there. Uh- yeah, you know? I, I didn't. I didn't name it though. Yeah, 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 uh, but yeah. but the sky the sky scrape is an intriguing. Uh, it's a lovely it's an intriguing lyric. It's, yeah. And then looking back um, to when we were younger and more, I guess, naive or innocent, is that a good thing to do, or do we have to look forward to advance ourselves, or is it a combination of both? Because that's what this song is doing. You know, the song I think that this is maybe most thematically similar to in some ways is prior to this is Rearview Mirror. Uh, you know, hmm. one of those, I just need to not be where I am right now. There's a, 
there's a, a desperation and an urgency to rearview mirror that's not here. Like, um, I need to escape because I'm in danger if I stay where I am. Uh, you know, whereas in my tree, you know, following uh, from the first couple of songs and really in Spirit of No Code is about just trying to gift yourself the space that you need to to reflect. Uh, and while I think the the verses are, um, they're a little sweaty. Like, I don't think they're, I don't think it's some of his best writing. Like the chorus is quite nice. I don't like trees as a metaphor. I think that's part of it. Oh, uh, go I prefer, on about that because I, I, I do like that actually. I, I, I prefer, I, as tired as they are, I, I like his wave and, and water imagery more. Those and are also have, lovely. I don't have, why, a, why don't you I, like trees? It I, don't have a great answer to that. Uh, just aesthetically, it's always felt like the idea of climbing a tree, which is really all you can do with it. Uh, well, it just was never that interesting. To when me. you can, well, he's also comparing. Have you us read growing the giving up, tree. like a tree grows Step. up? We don't have to be on <laughs> the giving tree. Giving tree is a, is a lovely book, um, <laughs> and some sometimes they bend. They bend in in, in present tense, um, and it, you know it works here for what this is. Um, it is because the the chorus in in my tree, really the whole song, is about lifting yourself up above the the messy context of your life to you know see the forest for the trees um and to find you know the meaning from that distance that you can't find in the moment you know it, it's taking that that step away to process it's healthy and healing in in my tree as opposed to the survival instinct um the sort of fight or flight instinct that you get in rearview mirror um and the, the chorus works really well i think it it's what carries the song you know, it's interesting before I want to get Paul, your take on, on, on how it's grown, but like, what, what's the deal with him never singing the sky is grape line anymore. He just can keep singing bows. I break. Isn't that weird? I don't understand. He never I sings haven't. skyscraper anymore. I think he's boycotting the site. He might be. <laughs> we, so, uh, we, some, we sometimes get angry uh, emails from the 10 club. Cause we don't shut, we don't, we don't formally, you know, endorse it, but we don't shut down people talking about unreleased material when stuff leaks. And so every, every now and then, uh, 10 club gets mad at us. Whatever. Yeah. I, you know, <laughs> me, musically speaking though, if you thought who you are was, Oh, this is just going to be a one-off. They double down on it, baby. Yep. <laughs> it's the, the, this whole world beat, you know, I mean, it, it, I, I was into it. I, I was excited about where things were going from here. But I tentatively, you know, again, it's 96. You know what I mean? It, it, I was I was enthralled and I was optimistic, but I was also unsure because this was this was not familiar footing for me with this band, really with any music I was listening to at the time. So this was an opportunity though for for the band to really make a statement. And this 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 is that, you know, the road not taken, and we are very clearly working our way around the bend of it at this point in time. Okay, all right, so. <laughs> weaving in all the puns he yeah. can. What was what, what was this comforting the, about this? God, oh, I was just gonna say this is you know if you didn't like who you are, I feel like this was the the light version. Like you had, you still have an interesting drum beat, but it's obviously much more. You still have the four chord progression. It's much mm-hmm. more friendly. I guess you could yep. say radio friendly, even though it wasn't a radio song, but you know, wave to all my friends. Like there's a lot more crowd participation opportunities. And so it was a more relatable song, I think, than who you are was. But I think if you were a fan of who you are, you still were like, oh, cool. There's still a little weird, you know, by relative to the straight ahead rock songs that you had gotten for the most part since, right? 
It's it's the song it, I, exactly, and it's it's the song. It's the first song on No Code where there's a li- if you think about that um, four quadrant uh, you know schema that I mentioned earlier. It's the, it's the first song on the album where there's some confidence interjected into his voice. You know, he yeah. soars in a way that he doesn't do anywhere else really on the first three songs, other than that. It's actually the maybe the best moment in the song and in, in Who You Are the uh, the just a little time before we leave. You know, bridge that's you know him belting something out but it's coming from somewhere very far away like this is the first song where at least some of the vocals in the chorus start start to center like the older eddie from the first three albums you know he's going back to his bag of tricks and you know i needed this at this point four songs into the album the the first time through and i think it's one of the things that's helped in my tree you know endure i don't love it as much as maybe some others do um but anytime you know ed is really just you know soaring in a chorus i'm you know, I, I'm I'm there for it. That's uh, kind of why, the, yeah. That's kind of the key for Pearl Jam, I think, for a lot of us is if Ed's soaring. Yep, we're gonna have a good time, right? I, I'll yeah. sit through Gone to get to that chorus, and yeah, you know, <laughs> and that's the only reason why. <laughs> well, let's then move on to a song called "Smile," one of the rare Jeff Ament written tracks on the on the record. Um, Turning a negative into a positive. We talked about smile as our lyric of the week some episodes ago. I don't really know how long ago it was. Um, it's an interesting point in this sequence to put this song for me, coming off of what we just listened to. And it's almost like this is the first song of the next chapter of the band's career for me. Taking the negative, spinning it around, because we've been so negative, looking inward, looking outward, everything sucks. You know, I'm sad, I'm angry. But now we're smiling and we're turning things around. It, did you guys see it this way? Or, or for me, not? it's all musical because in music is very much, yeah. Well, we're on this new path. And then we get what felt like the third track off of Merkin Ball. You know, I mean, it's, it very much mm. is in the vein of, you know, I got Id and Long Road. And so t- to me, it felt like Pearl Jam were, were very much solidifying who they were as a band moving forward and that the, that the sound that we were used to, that was in the rear view mirror. So we, <laughs> we <laughs> you, you can't stop tonight. I can't. It's like an addiction, <laughs> but <clears throat> I really felt with this track, especially when you get the, the, the harmonica coming in, it, 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 Jeff actually mentioned that he had other ideas that he, when he finally was invited to show up to this recording, he said, he, you know, he had said, I had other things I thought were actually better or, or, or more interesting, but th- this one landed. And, and I think it, because it was familiar footing for the band, because it was very much in the vein of what they had done with Merkinball. And so it just felt to me like this was going to be the new Pearl Jam. And, and I was, I was not fully on board with it necessarily. I mean, I, I was intrigued by it, but I was not fully on board with it. And a lot of fans obviously weren't either, you know, and, and they, they made the, the, the decision to, to completely walk away. But I don't think the placement is as much rooted in the lyrics as it was in, in the music to me. Funny enough, been played 77 times. It feels like you, you would play it. They, they would have played it less, but they've actually played it more than, than who you are for as an, as an example. There are some some decent gaps, but it seems like since 03, they've played it every single year, at least a few times. It's actually closed the, the, sh- the show twice, which is interesting. Well, how does this song, because it feels like 
it feels classic, but also time capsuled at the same time. Am I crazy? It's it really embodies um, the a lot of the artistic choices that they were making and that Eddie was making as a as a singer as a performer, you know, during this era, which was you know the let's wear our Neil Young influence on our sleeve, you know, as much as possible. And so it's 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 crunchier and and sloppier. It's um, he's singing in that that more nasally register that you know is not my favorite place that he that he sings, but I think is, is coming from that, that Neil Young influence. And so it's very much of a piece of the era, even if the, the writing and the lyrics are maybe the most simplistic on, you know, any of the albums, uh, album tracks up to this point. I don't mean simplistic there pejoratively, just, you know, there's, it's just a handful of, of lyrics that he's repeating. It was basically taking that that letter that the frogs um, yeah. member gave to him and just turned it around into a into a song. Um, I, I, I like the song a lot. It's just it's weird. It, it feels like almost just like a novelty, even though I think it has a great mm-hmm. message. If you really dig into it, as we did some episodes ago, it's one of those songs. Where I'm like, oh, cool. But like, I don't need to hear it. Is that is that do we do we agree or no? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, at the time, it didn't register for me very much. I mean, it felt like Merkin Bolt to me. Like, I kind of forgot it for a long time that it was there. It's a nice companion piece to Hail Hail and arguably around the bend thematically on the album that most Mm. of the songs on No Code are solitary, they're individual, they're they're self-reflective. And Hail Hail and Smile are, are two of the songs that you know, start to grapple again with how you find meaning and and substance in your life through your relationships with other people, which is, you know, all through the first couple of records. Uh, and so it was nice just thematically to see that coming back here um, in some simple but still, you know, potentially powerful ways. It, it's riffing off of some of the ideas in um, Hail, Hail. Those are, those are two songs that you know, re, uh, play around with like uh, a simultaneous male and female dichotomy. It's in some of the the lyrics in in Hail Hail and Smile. You've got this really rough, muscular, you know, masculine riff, and these you know fairly sensitive you know uh, lyrics, uh, feminine lyrics, uh, you know, that are also reflected in the the performance, the way in which they try to fuse those two things. There's Smile is one of the uh, songs that when I sit down to really think about, I appreciate its hidden depths, but it still yeah. always felt like a minor song in the end. Yeah. And I get the B-side, you know, feel to it. Exactly. Well, we go from there to Off He Goes. And in an album of clearly more mature songs, and, and by that I mean, of course, Ed has found new ways to deal with his emotions and circumstances. This is maybe the first time we really get to see Ed bear something significant and clearly personal. Um, I want to ask you, why was this important then? And why is it still important now? I'll throw that out to Paul, just because I do not like this song. I have a no, lot I'm of kidding. It's, it's taken me a long time to grow to appreciate and enjoy this track. I think when I first heard it, it was too long. It's still longer than I think it needs to be. Um, you know, it, it, 
drifting is a great example of, of how you, you can really kind of do a lot with a little <laughs> in terms of, of this, this, this type of sound. But I, I love the ref, the, the self reflective introspective approach and, and the, there's an element of criticism that's directed inward versus outward at the rest of the world and society. It's and a little I think refreshing that, is my point. It, it yeah. was. And, and I think that that was something that we weren't really that used to with Ed, to, at least not in this way. So it was, it's also the, I think on an album, this is the end of the side A, correct? I, think I don't so. have the vinyl. I don't remember I, to be honest with you. I'm, I'm pretty so. sure this ends side A. So it really was kind of the, the rubber stamp on, on this record as a centerpiece working as a track that essentially communicates that the band was, was, was had they had reached a point in their lives where they, they were doing that inward self-reflection and they were taking inventory and they were trying to figure out the best and the worst in themselves. And it was at a time in their recording history where they were not being the best or I should say, let me walk that back, where they were being the best and the worst of themselves to each other at, at the same time. So I think that as a, as a track, it does a wonderful job of painting a portrait of maybe what was going on behind the scenes. But a, as a song, while it's very contemplative and, and it has that kind of uh, a, adult um, alternative feel to it that, that you would hear in the mid-90s, I do feel that it's a little trite in places and I find that the, um, the, how do I say this? It's just, there's a beautiful solitary introspective nature to this song that I think gets lost in how long it just keeps drawing itself out. It it almost becomes, um, what's the word here? self-indulgent overly yep. self-indulgent mm. that that's exactly the right word like you said earlier jason that you like that this is um you know that that they were being so nakedly introspective but the problem that i have with that is that eddie is only ever writing about himself um you know like almost every pearl jam song that that he writes the lyrics for he's grappling with some thought some idea he's sometimes processing it through characters but every thing he writes is deeply and intensely personal and so when it becomes this this upfront you know it feels self-indulgent at best you know maybe slightly even narcissistic you know at at worst and most of the themes that are on here i feel like he'd already explored in much more interesting ways you know primarily on vitology but also you know elsewhere on um on no code and like it's a beautiful piece of music like um but it does go on for a while and i'm just not sure there's anything he says here you know that's um particularly insightful i mean where the one place where it kind of gets interesting is the way at which it, it kicks off it's actually a very dark song like deceptively yeah um uh, you know, in that there's this very brief moment of of completeness and and peace that he holds on to for just a second in the song before it moves on, and then you run it, it off. He off he goes. Habit, uh, Red Mosquito, Lucan are four pretty dark songs before the album circles back around to some light places for its ending. Um, and so it, it's interesting in that it, it kicks that run of songs off. It's 
odd to think of it as ending one side of the album. I hadn't thought of it in those terms before, unless it's really foreshadowing what's going to you know start everybody off on on the second side. But it's it's just never done anything. Um, it, it, it there are no insights here, and it was such a different way for him to write. Um, that I, I think Eddie's often at his weakest when he's being obvious, and despite the, um, you know, the framing device he's using for the song, um, yeah, this wasn't subtle enough for me. It's still not. This has not aged Do well you, for me. Okay, fair enough. Do you think that then? Maybe, maybe I, I've always been naive then to think that when he's telling a story like Dissident, for example, um, that that's him in another character. Um, I kind of tried to take things more for or more at face value. And so when I heard this song and and I didn't know it was necessarily about, it. I guess one could assume, but I didn't know it was, it was about him until that show in, uh, in was it Poland when he said um, uh, Catawist, right? I'm probably saying that incorrectly. In 2000. Uh, when he, yeah. When he mentions that, it, that it's about being a shitty friend and that he's a shitty friend. And I was like, Oh, interesting. Now, again, that could be just me being super naive. Uh, and I will take that. But at the same time, that allowed me to view the song as like, oh, wow, this is Ed putting himself on display in a in a vulnerable way in that um, everything else that was clearly about him. By the way, Jeremy is another example. That's, you know, um, songs like, you know, Alive, yeah, they're about him, but it's about it's about the way he felt about something else happening, whereas this was an indictment of himself and maybe I'm just too naive to see that he was being direct about himself in other songs. Like, I don't know what's, what those songs would be that he was being very obvious about himself in. I mean, not, I don't, I don't, not, I don't think you're being naive. Um, he's often not necessarily being direct. Um, you know, he's, he's frequently hiding behind characters, but underneath all of that i think like um, just about every pearl gem song even something like jeremy or 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 dissident you know two that you just named he there's still ideas there that he's working through he's looking at somebody else's experience and wondering you know what does that say about myself and my own experience you know how does it help me understand where i've been or the rage that i'm feeling or the regrets that i have or you think jeremy's like that i think he's just telling a story I think if he's just telling a story, the song doesn't hit the way that it does. Um, I mean, there's Jeremy is one of his better, you know, narratives as far as like I'm going to tell a story about a character, uh, for sure. I mean, it's it's a very powerful song, but you know, Jeremy is about feeling betrayed by um, the groups that you're supposed to be a part of. It's about not being able to process being an outsider. It's about you know feeling trapped. Um, you know, and these are all things that at one point or another you know everybody's working through jeremy works as well as a song as it does precisely because it is you know it, it's tapping into something universal that he's hmm. he's processing um and so if if you read all of their songs prior to this in that vein which you don't have to do that's why i don't think you're naive to take these things as stories uh then the the newness of off he goes uh is less striking and the self-indulgent nature of it like uh it rises to the four. Sure. And it, it has been played 118 times. One of the, it's probably in the middle of the pack of that record. Um, I do happen to like the music of it. Um, 
I think it has a an intimate kind of campfirey vibe. Um, mm-hmm. And I know when we've talked about uh, comes and goes, uh, it's similar in length. It's similar in kind of feel. Um, but I know that Paul has said that without the rest of the band, it, it does not warrant that long uh, of, of, a, of a time run. What comes and goes. Yeah. That's um, fair, but he does write the shit out of that song. I think that, yeah, that, that, that is a that lyrical masterpiece. Fucking awesome. But anyways, I don't want to go down a path of that. I think we've hit enough off he goes there. It's obviously something that I think actually could maybe use a little bit more um, dissection because uh, I did not think that you guys would go that route on that one, but that's cool. Let's go to habit. Um, this um, beyond just the style of music seems to maybe dip a toe back into their past uh, and acknowledge that there are still problems being dragged with them into their future. Uh, they can't fully escape people they love and hold dear hurting themselves with addiction. Now, the legacy of this song is interesting to me because as it's proved to be prophetic uh, with, you know, Mike Starr, Lance Staley from Allison Chains, not to mention, of course, Scott Weiland also coming to that. Um, there are many others, of course, we don't know about who probably fit the bill here. And yet this song isn't played that much. Why do we think it it had its little tiny moment there, you know, pl- played one of the earliest songs played, you know, played uh, in, I want to say June or July of uh of 95 and then just didn't really stick around too too much it's, it's not been played very much at all it's right in the middle of songs on no code i probably just because it's hard to say yeah it's hard i, I have always found it it's all it the, is this and mankind to be the, the weakest tracks on the album personally i i did not have it's another one that i kind of i made myself like it when it came out just because at least it was it was the hard rocker and, and it was exactly it was me the too. hard rocker yep it's it's grown a fair bit for me since then the the outro is aces it's maybe the highlight of the album for me um i mean they they play the shit out of the outro mm-hmm. um the problem and the lyrics are a little on the nose but they're they're fine you know they, they get the point across for the song with the other than the speaking of the child of the 90s lyric <laughs> which is is a terrible lyric unless you just want to like uh, treat it as a nod to the the Mike Watt lyric from against the seventies, um, where the, the reasons that habits not a top tier song it, it wasn't then and it's not now even though I, I do like it more now than I did then is he's just shrieking, and that's the the challenge with Lucan too is you know prior to these two songs and he starts doing this I think on the ninety five tour which is not one of my my favorite tours. Uh, despite how Vitology centered it is. And it's only songs from my three favorite albums. Um, the Eddie used to scream and he gets that point, like right before your voice is going to break and he could hold and sustain those notes right there. And that's what just made that so incredible. Um, you know, that even when you're screaming your heart out in something like last exit, like you're still in control of what you're doing. Like this is just shouting until you're hoarse. It loses that, that melodic quality that was there. And it's a very judgy song in a way that they're usually not. And I, I think softens the, Yet, the empathy in the catalog. Fair enough. Yes. <laughs> uh, uh, it, it loses the, the empathy. It, it, it doesn't, while all the rest of these songs are about accepting your limitations, being comfortable with uncertainty, making peace with and loving yourself, despite, you know, your flaws, that those are the things that make you human. This is just judgmental. It's not accepting of other people's limitations. Um, you know, there's the line, like, I'm so happy with my righteous self. This is not about 
being happy with your righteous self. This is about judging the people who aren't as righteous as you are. Um, like save you thematically uh, is covering all of the same ground that habit does. And I Good think shout. it just does in, in a m- much more satisfying way. Just, I think a better song top to bottom with the other than that great you know, jam at the end of, of habit. Paul, we just touched on this last week. Is there anything different that we think about this now than we did then that the step mentioned? No, I think we've mined that soil as much as we could. <laughs> All right. Red Mosquito it is then. Um, I find a song about good versus evil and one's conscience to be cre- incredibly intriguing. And yet I feel that this song doesn't hold many people's attention for too long. And like most fans, I, I think they enjoy it just fine, but it's it's still not played very much. And you know, they've had some fun performances with you know Ben Harper on the lap steel, but I, I don't think many have really tried to understand the song's message. And I just don't really understand why, because I think the theme, the idea is worth talking about. And I, do you guys have an answer for that? I mean, is it just the music? Is it the slide guitar? Uh, I, I think? think we all wonder when we get food poisoning, if we had known that. Now, you know, th- this, again, this, this fits in with, um, smile and and some of the world beat stuff that jack brought in on the third and fourth track uh you know in this case it's it's slide guitar which which i loved um i think that there's just it's it's a new pearl jam and and this particular track had, had a really cool hooky groove to it and it's not how do i say this it showcased a very diverse style for Mike and the rest of the band that I think presented for the listener, the capacity for these guys to, to be far more than what they had been seen as. And and I think that idea of, we don't want to be vegetables, right? If we're going to rock, we're going to rock like we rock in habit and Lucan, you know, or hail, hail. We're not going to rock like we rocked on even flow. I mean, that there was something about, this desire to, to not do anything derivative in this album. Mm-hmm. And whenever there was a chance to do or be something different, it was just this calling card for them, you know, like it was a vocation of some kind. And so I was really drawn to a track like this. I preferred this song over both Lucan and habit mm-hmm. mostly because I, I, there was melody to it, you know, and, and, and I thought the, the guitar playing was interesting and, and it was extremely it, 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 beautiful showcase for Mike as a, as a guitarist as well. 88 song, times played step less than habit, uh, yeah, but less it, than in my tree. I mean, it's, it's baffling because I, this is my favorite song on the album. If this was, if a different era of Eddie was singing it, it would be one of my favorite Pearl Jam songs, period. Probably um, it, it, the, I love the music. Uh, I think it's got the best overall set of lyrics on the album. I don't know why they don't play this constantly because it's tailor-made for for an arena for a great sing-along at the end. Uh, nothing in here is like you know out of his range that it would be a hard song to play. That'd be a hard song to play uh, night to night. Um, and I think the Red Mosquito image is one of their best. I think it's it's pretty inspired. Um, you know, the, this this tiny parasite that stalks you, that drains your blood, that if you swat it away, there's just another one that's going to buzz in and replace it. You don't even know it's there um, until you either feel it bite you or, 
you know, you hear it whining in your your ear. And the the theme at the, you know, that's running throughout the song, the <laughs> the way that it um it, it, the way the way you know the singer. I mean, this is this is Eddie. You know, wants to blame himself for you know all of his flaws, all of the things that are wrong in his life, all of the the past mistakes. You know, if I had known then what I I know now, um, you know, really gets wrapped up nicely uh, in present tense in two songs. It's another reason why Lucan is kind of annoying on the album because yeah. it, it shouldn't block that that transition um, because you you can't know you didn't know then what you know now and you can't really hold yourself accountable for for those things uh so you really just should forgive yourself and like you know here's somebody who's who can't do it and is like torturing themselves with like you know the all their mosquito bites like you know like the time like you know niggling jabbing at their their wounds and it gets resolved really nicely in present tense well let's go over to looking now um we've touched on a couple times um this was a part challenge to Matt Lucan uh, from a songwriting perspective and part getting his stalker vibes off his chest. And, and this is a song I think many enjoy hearing live uh, and yet it's legacy is more like, well, that was fun. Uh, as you can barely understand what Ed is screaming. And I think the, the slow down acoustic version from New York in 2010 is yeah. a better version of the song. I think sure. most of us agree Absolutely. on that. Yeah. I was there for that show. That was, it was great. <sighs> It, it was great. What a moment. I, I don't like hearing Lucan uh, because it is just Ed, you know, garbling nonsensically. And they don't play longer. Like, it's not like they just throw it in as like a, just a random little interstitial song on the set list. Like, that could have been something else. Uh, they, they don't. <laughs> I, I have thoughts on this. See, yeah, it's, all, it's also, I think it's sort of become like the untitled to MFC as it is to whatever succeeds it in the set list. You know, for a while it was often followed by not for you Yep. in how the ladder just followed Luke and right on his heels in, in similar fashion to uh, Zeppelin's one, two punch of heartbreaker and living, loving maid, or maybe green day's brain stew and jaded, you know, where they just kind of, you can hear if you, if you listen to this song on the radio, that they'd be forced to like play the next song. Um, that's how I view this. It's, it's, is that what is that what it is now? Is that just an overture? I don't know if it's an overture. I I, I agree with Stip that it, its placement really does throw off the the progression, the thematic progression that seems to be building. I think um, if you try, you can't move it any later though. You're not going to put it after I'm open. You're not going to put it after like, where present does it sit, is my point. It, yeah. This is kind of like this is the last place that it can be put. Uh, if it if it has to make the album, uh, I think well, it would probably work better. Uh, probably in between Habit and Red Mosquito, or or perhaps opening mm -hmm. Side B and then having Habit. I don't know. It, yeah, well, we'll or it just should have been Black, Red, Yellow. Well, you know what, maybe you have to join us in our retracking uh, of the album whenever we get around to that, because <laughs> there have been some albums now where people where we have lost some of the tracks on the album to B-sides. So it, it um, this screams to be if this was a B-side, I would like it fine. Um, you know, yeah. it's, it's good. It's good for what it is. It's catchy when it comes up. If, Christmas I actually, sure, exactly. I actually like Lucan more if it comes up on shuffle as a random song mm. like the, the sequencing is very delicate in no code it doesn't always work um but there are like some themes that build and some stories that get told and this just completely 
derails it. It's it's such an an angry, claustrophobic, um, aggressive song that just drops into this space after you know the introspection of of Red Mosquito and the upcoming introspection of Present Tense. And Red Mosquito is not a soft song, um, but it's still in that space. Like this, this just hits like a brick, but not in the the best ways. Well, you've you've segued me perfectly to Present Tense because I I agree. I think. Red Mosquito 2 present tense would have been a lovely transition, one, two. Um, I think this is the most calm and assured song on the record. Uh, I think as the fan base has gotten older, it's also come to find the song as amazing as the band did when they released it. And I wonder, is this the song that's aged the best from No Code? There's an argument there. I This is actually one of the ones that has... I guess de-aged or aged poorly. Really for interesting. interesting Go on. And I, I used to. Re- this was one of my standout tracks, you know, for a long time. Hmm. Some of it might be the live performances because it loses mm-hmm. the like the delicate beauty that the song has. Like you know, Mike's Mike's playing live is a little ham-fisted, and you can get some nice crowd moments out of it. But there's there's no shortage of Pearl Jam songs that you can get crowd moments out of, and. Songs like Released are hard to imagine or Long Road that are also really slow and melodic, like don't get savaged the way that it does. I think some of it too is it's there, there's some nice moments. It's a good performance. It's a beautiful outro. The lyrics are a little obvious and just like a, another song that that's coming up. They, they feel I trite's not fair. Uh, it's not trite, but it's, a little too obvious in some places. Um, and even like the, the, the core, um, you know, may, it makes much more sense to live in the present tense, feels a little clunky to me. You had mentioned earlier, uh, Jason, I think the starting to stick too many syllables into some phrases. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, you can spend your time alone redigesting past regrets, or you can come to terms to realize you're the only one who can't forgive yourself or can't forgive yourself. Uh, I think he does both. Um, that's a, that's a lot of Actually, words. Cannot forgive yourself. Is it always cannot? Cannot forgive yourself. Oh, yeah. I, th- I thought I it was, so. I was maybe can. Uh, you could be right. It, that, even more syllables then. Um, it, that's a lot of words that don't just roll off the tongue. There's not a really striking image in present tense. It's a, it's a beautiful sentiment. It's a nice performance. I really like the music and the atmosphere, but the lyrics are one of the things that help a song linger for me uh and this is one that hasn't at least for me quite held up to the scrutiny that um some of the other songs have so then i'll ask you why do we think that this song has had somewhat of a renaissance over the last decade or so because for the first decade that it was a a thing uh, maybe first seven years or so it really wasn't played a whole lot and then we started getting it played more and more often. And it's kind of been 2006, a semi, I think when it, yeah, really exactly. It started becoming re-emerged. more of a staple in the set list. Um, I think we can harken back to that, um, that live stream post show on Letterman when they played about an hour and 20 minutes as a fantastic version of this song. And I feel like they just didn't really do it a whole lot in the beginning. And so when I say it's kind of age, well, I feel like the fans have, Maybe come around. Maybe the, maybe the fan base has matured to a point to appreciate what was written, even if it is uh-huh. obvious in a lot of ways. Hell, it ends. It ends the last dance. I mean, there, there's a yeah. re, there's a reason for that. Um, 
why do you think it has had this resurgence, even if it has aged poorly in your view? It's it's a nice message. And, you know, it's it was a nice choice to end the last dance. Like I'm happy to concede that this just might be my own idiosyncratic, you know, taste or the things that I want, you know, out of a out of a set of lyrics. Uh, but it's also the song that they play live when they've brought it back is not the song that's on the album. Uh, you know, it is it, it is a reinvention of the song and not in the way that something like Alive has this subtle but really transformative shift or like Corduroy is, you know, just gets played a lot faster. Um, you know, it's Yellow Leadbitter honestly has the same problem. You, you could kind of like swap these two songs with each other where there's this really delicate, gorgeous playing that Mike does that just becomes this kind of Hendrix X-esque, you know, distorted um you know, celebration. Um, and, you know, Eddie, Eddie made, he found the, the crowd sing along moments in this. Like, I enjoy present tense if I'm there at the show because it's fun to sing along with and it's fine. It's fun to have everybody else do that. So I get why it's in the set list. Um, but on and, the album, it is a quieter, more introspective mm, song, I think, especially yeah. the first half. Of it. Mm-hmm. There's a re- there's a nice like gentle confidence to it that and caps well, no code that's my nicely point, too. Is that coming off of what you just heard in the album? It's great to hear the dichotomy of a mm-hmm. confident song, but not hitting you in the face with that. Right. It works. It honestly, this probably should have been the album closer. Maybe you can use like around the oh. bend as like as like a coda to it. Um, but I don't think you need the next two songs. Uh, and it works well in that that context. Um, it's the the sentiment is there it wraps up the journey of of the album it's just and these are this is maybe not the fault of the of the song uh the lyrics are a little more front and center than i i like especially on an album where the the writing is often pretty strong and pretty subtle and um i just have this is not my favorite eddie performance like across the the record and so that takes something away from it for me, which wouldn't bother other people who who like this. Well, don't worry about the next song because Eddie doesn't really do anything at all. Mankind. And man, that pissed me off at the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it, it's not a coincidence. I think this, I think the last time we heard Stone, Stone, Stone do this. Don't I mean, give me no lip. Don't give me no. Uh, okay. I mean, it's, it's, we, we, we can. If you want Stone, you'll put on Bayleaf. I understand. It's been played um, as many times as who you are, interestingly enough. Yes, yeah. it has. Uh, which very which strange. Fe- feels wrong. It does feel this, wrong. This actually has aged pretty well for me and that I, I hated really? it at the time. I hated it at the time because I was very much of the attitude, honestly, I still am, uh, that if this is a Pearl Jam album, like this is real estate that a second tier singer is taking up that could have been mm. an, an Eddie song. And... I, I took it really personally then, but you know, six albums since uh, seven albums since then, um, there's been plenty of Eddie songs, and just as like a moment in the back catalog, like it is no different now than a "Don't Give Me No Lip." And like you know, here's just one of these these fun, you know, one offs that that Stone did. And now people are are chanting in the encores, like "Come on, let Stone sing!" Like right, and, and it's fun. It's a novelty. It's, it was a novelty it, then. It's yep. a novelty now. And it's it's kind of a it's it's kind of a fun catchy song, and I'm okay with Pearl Jam having fun catchy disposable moments now, in a way that I wasn't at the time when everything had to be serious and a massive statement, and everything that this uh, that this wasn't. Um, and even thematically, 
I, st- I still think no code works better if you kind of call it a day at present tense because all, all those other songs are interacting with each other in compelling ways and present tense is like the nice punctuation at the end of it. It, it completes your story. Um, mankind and I'm open kind of work well together in that mankind is sort of about disenchanting the world, you know, not taking it seriously, you know, uh, deflating the, the things that, you know, um, we uh, place too much value in or overestimate. And then mankind, uh, and then I'm open goes on to do the exact opposite and tries to re-enchant the world. And so there are two interesting songs that are in, interesting for being in conversation with each other in that way that still add nothing to the album. Yeah, I mean, we we can kind of just go right into I'm open because there's I don't know there's a whole lot to say about mankind that you haven't just said. I think um, musically speaking, it's still a little uninteresting to me. Um, lyrically, oh, I, 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 I love this this song it, I, i've only well, grown to appreciate it even more mostly because it, i get a lot of mad season vibes off of it musically really i do yeah Music, that guitar, musically it, it doesn't do anything for me but 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 lyrically i have really grown to like it um it's another one of those look back songs right um kind of like present tense in that in that sense um and, and i think it's more sure than the speaker in, in my tree uh, I also really enjoy the reprisal in reference to uh, the outro of Red Mosquito with "If I had known then, but I know now." Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's kind of cool. So I, I, you know, I'm not a fan of spoken word. I don't think the music's terribly interesting, but I think the lyrics and what they represent are. That said, it's taken a real estate, right? I would. This could have been hard to imagine. Uh, Ooh, you know, I, it's that's a great which, point. Um, the music is. It's a nice. It's a nice enough soundscape. I'm. I can kind of hear the mad season vibes uh, now that you mentioned that I don't like when Eddie does spoken word. Um, I don't think any of his spoken word attempts are really successful. Um, I used to really love these lyrics. Um, They haven't aged that well for me. They end up feeling similar to present tense, although this is even more like there's actually some nicer lines in this, but it feels even more heavy handed than present tense does. Yeah. Um, And is is just a little bit too much. Um, I'm I don't not think sh- they're clever at all. I think I just think they're, it's a nice sentiment. Yeah, no, it, it is. It is. Uh, e- even b- some of their worst songs, like this sentiment, is still fine. I mean, Eddie doesn't write obnoxious songs in terms of the the subject matter. Uh, I don't Thirteen think times I'm, played live, too too much. Well, I mean, has it ever really been played live at all? They just do the chorus. I have a live version and it is just the chorus. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, all right. Well, let's finish with the round the bend then. Um, I know it's the biggest stock rising for, uh, for Paul. And I agree that it's uh, not a track that I cared for as a 14 year old. Uh, mm-hmm. The rock band that I fell in love with was writing these soft acoustic lullabies. Like why? Yep. Uh, Perhaps Ed's secondary meaning suggestion of a serial killer helps. I don't know. But the, 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 the no, it does not. No? Okay. Uh, not the combination of anyway. acoustic guitar and piano, though, and Jeff Charles, but I think is really, really lovely and something that I wouldn't ever appreciate when I was younger. But also the sentiments, the lyrics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is the obvious part, right? We were 14, 13, 12 years old at the time. Um, and guess what? 
I didn't have kids till four years ago. Yep. You had kids, what, eight or nine, 10 years ago and, and seven right. for, for, uh, for Paul. So we did not understand what the hell he was talking about. Absolutely not. Um, nor did he actually, because he didn't have kids for another seven or years or so, but he had Jack Irons as kid. And, uh, you know, to speak to that, it, reading, you know, talking about the legacy of a song, it's probably, yeah, grown the best or aged the best for, for the entire fan base because guess what? Most of the fan base probably has had a kid or two. And they can now they can actually relate to something that was just like, what is this soft song? Mm-hmm. You know, I had rock and roll for, for the last four years. What is this? Yep. I, th- I thought Around the Bend was just this this boring go-nowhere song um, that didn't add anything to the album. And then I had a kid and then I, I got it. And it was like flipping on a, a light switch. Um, and I, th- this more than any song has, has risen in my esteem on no code, probably almost entirely for that reason. I don't think the, the song got better. It's just that I was eventually in a place that the song was for me in a way that it wasn't before. Um, you know, I know that we're recording this tonight later than intended because you had to put your kids to bed and <laughs> it, it, it was, me out. and it was starting to, to, it was the process of putting my kids to, to bed and just trying desperately for them to go the fuck to sleep that I, you know, got Thank my you, Samuel L. Jackson. Uh, yeah, that's a, it's a great book. That That's where, you know, I developed that greater appreciation for the gentle peacefulness, the, the longing for that, like you know, the, the beauty of that fragile piece and how like hushed you are in trying to preserve it. Like the, um, the magic that's in the the stillness of those moments when like your child is at peace in the world and everything is okay. And eventually you leave the room and realize that I have to get to all that other shit that you have to do and have to try to cram living your life into the 30 to 90 minutes. You can stay, manage to stay awake for until you fall back to sleep. But that, that moment when they close their eyes and they're, they're still is a really magical moment. And, the song captures that really well. Once you know what you're looking for, Paul, he's put it down. You're going to pick it back up. What do you got? <laughs> now this song, it, it's about maturing, you know, and, and look, Eddie has these bizarre allusions to some sort of uh, twisted way to look at this. I don't buy any of that stuff. I, I just think it was him overcompensating at, at, at a point in his career where he just couldn't say, yeah, I wrote a lullaby. <laughs> I wrote mm-hmm. a lullaby for a kid and I'm at peace with that. And you don't like it. Well, sit and spin. You know what I mean? I, um, I, I, would, I think he, he would happily do so now and does. And so, you know, it, this is before we got future days. You know what I mean? I this is a precursor say, to, to mm-hmm. what would be the type of songwriting that we would ultimately find coming out of Eddie quite prolifically uh, yep. later in life. So Imagine, I would, I would have hated future days in 2000 yeah. in, in, in 1996, but I uh-huh. liked it in 2013. Yeah. I, I have said it before and I'll say it again. That's the, I would, you guys completely just beat me to the punch, but it, it's, if you're a younger, <laughs> apologize. if you're a younger fan of the band and you have not necessarily found true love or you haven't been married um, and that's obviously no judgment at all, but like, if you haven't experienced something, you're not going to understand something. You're like, what is this schmaltzy song mm-hmm. with the piano intro? Like it, it was, my, dude, it was my fucking, uh, first dance song at my wedding. <laughs> like it's just that because I recognize that it's a schmaltzy acoustic song with a piano, but guess what? I can relate to it. 
And it's, a lovely, it's a lovely schmaltzy song. That's, and, sometimes yeah. it's, all, it's what you need, you know? When there's 200 songs in your catalog, it's okay for a handful of them yeah. to be schmaltzy. Like it, yeah. it's, it's a spice that works in small doses and <laughs> it's, it's they a didn't pretty go small full dose. Goo Goo Dolls here on us. No, guys, they yeah. did not. <laughs> no. They it's did one not. song that's got that nice like harvest violin feel to it. It's an album about aging and, you know, being an adult lightning bolt is, and it's a nice capstone to, you know, to all of that in the same way that around the bend and just like, given how many songs before this hail, hail, sometimes in my tree, who you are, red mosquito are, you know, this, uh, either calm or in some cases, you know, more, more frantic or despairing attempt to like find some peace for yourself that works itself out in present tense, you know, like around the bend gets to be your like little victory lap where you're able to enjoy that moment because of everything that, that came before, which was not something I picked up on in 1996, but I'm glad that I can enjoy in 2021. Well, that's, I think that's a good summation of, of this record. Uh, you know, I guess what we can say is the fact that it wasn't available on vinyl for a little bit and people were freaking out because they were trying to find it and it was hundreds of dollars on eBay and this, that, and the other thing. And then the, the clear slash, you know, mint vinyl that came out a couple months ago, sold out like that. And people were pissed. It's like, Hey, guess what? Maybe the fan base has gotten to a point where they were, um, a little bit behind, but that's, that's, that's how it works. Right. You know, you're not going to experience what somebody 10, 15, 20 years older than you experiences. You're not going to understand it or appreciate it. Um, but I would say kudos to the fan base for sticking around and giving it more tries. And I think there are other albums in the catalog that will, or if they haven't already proved to live in a similar, similar world, like your binaural, like your riot act and something like that. So mm-hmm. Uh, I know it's at the bottom of your of your pile, even though you do enjoy it, Stip. But uh, at least it's not as bad as it was then. No, it's and it's <laughs> easy. No Code was the only Pearl Jam album that ever came out. I, I have a, a strong recency bias uh, tendency with Pearl Jam. Like when a new Pearl Jam album comes out, it's always been one of my favorites for at least a while, and then it settles into wherever it is it's going to live. This was the only one that was like. I don't want this. Like there's stuff on here that I like, <laughs> but this is like, please stop whatever direction you're I going don't in. Want this. And I was so goddamn relieved when I heard the given to fly single. Um, you know, oh, I, yeah. I, I cannot explain that. I, I was actually nervous with do the evolution just because I wondered what Eddie had done to his voice, like awesome yeah. song. But like, I, these are the only two songs I know one yield right now. Like is everything like, did he just break himself at, at some point? Um, but any any album like once you once you're past it you know you, it it's easy to it's easier to appreciate it for what it is and you know no code is a really important part of the overall journey that plays out in the catalog and you know i'm grateful for it for that even if it's not my favorite collection of songs well let's put a button on that and get to our lyric of the week And the lyric of the week this week, of course, comes from No Code, and it comes from Off He Goes. And now he's home, and we're laughing like we always did. My same old, same old friend. Until a quarter to ten, I saw the strain creeping. 
seems distracted And I know just what is gonna happen then Before his first death Step, I'm going to start with you because you love this song so damn much. <laughs> these these lyrics, this is uh, basically the very, very end of the song. Um, Ed has admitted a few times that this is about him, as we've mentioned, and being shitty. It's, 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 it's fragile friendships. Fragile friendships. Are they worth hanging on to? I'm going to ask you a few questions here. Are they worth hanging on to? Why do we do it? Should we let those people go? Should we confront them? Does it, does it depend on something? On what? And why do we stay and keep our hearts open to people who just leave us, even if it's not malicious? What great questions. Thank that, you very much. That, that he I'm does. Gonna, I'm going to leave. I'll see you guys. Yep. Drop your mic. That he does. In the bathroom. Drop it in the bathroom. Such, I can't such, a, better, such a better job of answering this on so many other songs than, <laughs> he, than, he, does, than he does here. Um, I, yes, it's important to hold on to these. I mean, that, that's what's that's what hail hail is about. You know, that's what smiles about. That's what present tense is about. Um, whether it's literally about another friend or just, you know, like the parts of yourself that you sometimes struggle with. Um, you know, you, you have to forgive people their human failings. You have to love them, you know, in spite of them, you have to accept the fact that people are sometimes going to let you down, but that's not a reason to, to write them off. Um, but you know that that's not in these lyrics. Um, you know, it's just a uh, I I was having a good time with this guy, and then he he left again. That's all I I mean, Paul, Paul, maybe you could do better. I, <laughs> I, I wish I, I wish I had more for you, but uh, uh, I don't think these are. Well, that let, me, good. let me ask Paul this question then, because you tried to answer those eight questions that I gave you once. <laughs> Paul, are some friendships just destined to be one-sided? And is that okay? Yes. Some friendships are destined to be one-sided. Yes, that is okay for a time being. Mm. I think that there is an element of, of human nature where we, there's a parasitic element to human nature where we use each other at various intervals in life. I to, use you to make me feel, to make me sound good in this podcast. <laughs> uh, we, we, we use each other to, to fill a need, a void, um, to, for, for companionship, a, a whole host of, of reasons. And I think that sometimes uh, friendships are one-sided. Um, now, it's fair to argue, are they, are they true friendships if they're not equal? But... I, I do believe that that they can be one-sided and the the uh, the beauty of this track lyrically is the self-awareness of recognizing mm. that. Mm. Um, now obviously, I'm not going to rehash the the criticisms of how it's overly indulgent and goes on too long, but um, i I do think Stipp's point is really interesting when he said that it's at at best self-indulgent, at worst narcissistic. Because this is the point in the band's history where Eddie Vedder essentially took the mantle as the, the, the lead pushing mm-hmm. everything forward. This album has Eddie all over it. 
And, and I, I can't help but wonder if part of the aversion to so many, uh, to, to replaying a lot of the music from this album is that it maybe reminds Eddie of a time where maybe he, he did perhaps, maybe the pendulum swung too far in that direction. And it wasn't until Yield that they were able to bring it back towards the middle. And that required Matt and essentially having more of a, a, a shared experience as a band with everybody contributing in ways that they really hadn't before. It was very stone driven and then No Code was very edge driven. And then since then, every album has felt very much kind of everybody having his or her own footprint. And I think that uh, this, this track is kind of a seminal moment in that, that transitional period for the band. So. Yeah, Jeff has mentioned that, you know, Ed was fried by the end of this. And so when they went to do yeah. yield, it, it was definitely more, he was asking for people's help and opinion and, yeah. and, and so uh, it was a more collaborative effort. And you can see that I'm looking at their, our, our, who wrote what song uh, Google doc here. And there's a lot of purple for Ed on music and lyrics. Whereas there's a, there's a lot less, uh, especially musically speaking, but even, even lyrically speaking on yield. So I, I wonder if this song um, is one of those songs that kind of had to happen as part of the collective of him finding himself and realizing, oh, this is not for me to handle all by myself. I am the shitty friend here. <laughs> Maybe I have to be the good friend, and 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 I have, I have to be I have to find and be aware of this shittiness to then allow my friends to truly um, uh, uh, contribute and benefit from from my friendship that really is there. Yeah. And you know what? It's um, if he had to write off, he goes to get to uh, come then goes, which uh, does all of this a thousand times better, just like a, a magisterial set of lyrics, arguably his, his best ever. And it's one second shorter than off he goes to. So <laughs> it was even more efficient, you know, then then it's worth it. But mm-hmm. that's um, and, you know, maybe you know, he's also writing that with a lot more age and wisdom and experience under his belt, you know, where it's really just about him reflecting on whether or not he was a shitty friend to somebody who died, um, you know, and trying to come to peace with that. Like it's, he does it so well there, which is one of the reasons why a song like this is so, at least for me, so frustrating. Well, what a great place to end that lyric of the week (laughs) (laughs) On on a happy note. Let's go to our live cut of the week. Ready? Cut of the week, off he goes. Not a lot of options. Where are we going? Uh, well, it's funny you mentioned that the Katowice Poland show in 2000. That's actually the green habit choice for for best version of Off He Goes. Um, it's not mine. I, I think it's a stellar version. For me, it's Bridge School '96. I, I think this this intimate cut is is a perfect reflection about what so much this album was about. And I think that uh, it, it, that is the type of place that is that's a venue built for uh, self-reflection and introspection, and, and, and it, it's contemplative in nature. The very uh, dynamic of, of, of unplugging everything and just playing for these kids. So it's just a great version of the song. It has Jack on it as well, so you, you get some of that that vintage sound as well. So it's it's kind of the signature version of this track for me really get Stone's guitar coming out too a bit more. I, I feel like it kind of gets drowned out a lot in, in subsequent versions live. I think Mike kind of takes over, but. All right, well, let's go to Mountain View, California, October 19th, 1996. Wow. 
strength creeping He seems distracted And I know just what is gonna happen Before his first stand He is off again Have you ever been to a Mountain View? I have not. I've never. Uh, yeah. you, well, of course, you have, Paul. You're like you're yeah, like from I'm eight from miles there. away. <laughs> I was. I was. <laughs> uh, Bridge School obviously is uh, a place where intimate, obviously, is the name of the game. And I think, regardless of where you sit on these lyrics, the theme of this song obviously lends itself to this environment. Mm-hmm. No step. Uh, with, absolutely. If you're going to play it, that's the place to play it. If you're going to play it at all, because it doesn't like the song, <laughs> play it in Mountain View where he's never been. Right. Fantastic. And in 1996, it comes, then goes, wasn't an option. So this was, you know, <laughs> you, you, you go to war with the army that you have. There you go. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, Stip, thank you for, for joining us. I've kept you up very late. That's Your wife it's is probably a, like, a, why the hell are you still podcasting? That's exactly like, why are you doing this? That's like, because uh, I love this. So yeah, much. this is, uh, I can't think of a better way to spend a, a Friday night. <laughs> so th- thank you guys for having me. We, we will have you back Anytime. again. And uh, Paul, next time we talk to the kids, we will have, uh, we'll have Ohana under our belts. We will. It's exciting. And we'll be wait. just days away from going to Encore together. Mm-hmm. Oh my. All right, gang. Well, until next time, thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Of course, follow us on the socials, and we will have the conversation there as well. And until then, until next time, you're listening to The State of Love and Trust. Still alive.